the idea was that there's a chapter in the the, the coding career handbook um, that focuses on tech business models. Uh, yes. kind of to give you an idea as as uh, you know an engineer entering a company what potentially is like the business you know how the business makes money how it interacts with the rest of the world like what is its idea of 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 how it makes money that if you know this you know you can better kind of structure your interactions with the business to to um, what you call it, to, I guess, you know, get the, to, to, to provide the best value, right? So it's like, the idea is, you know, you're an engineer, you, I don't want to say you produce code, you solve problems through, through tech, through code, through, you know, whatever mechanism you want to, you want to see that, see, you want, whatever lens you want to use, but ultimately the problems have to kind of fit in the bubble of the business model that the company that you're in uses, you know, and the more you're aware of that as the individual is the, you know, the better you are at kind of engaging with the business. And then of course, if you, if you're a potential founder, you know, these are some of the things that you want to think about because you know, yeah, while you're making, while you're making whatever application you're making or whatever you're making, um, you want to kind of understand what is your options of starting to, to, to generate revenue and what are the mechanisms for that so that you can, you know, put yourself in the posi- best position to do so. Um, so that's, that's pretty, pretty much the chapter. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, mean- I, I tried to study. I, I try just to make sure, like, I don't want to kind of be like, like ah, you know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much the, the, the kind of the idea of the chapter. Um, and the idea of this talk is just to kind of discuss the, the potential models, the, biz, the potential business models that exist and how you associate with them. You know, uh, Swix is the author, so he's probably the person who's going to be driving the, the, the conversation. But um, we have a Slido link. I shared that uh, at the top of the the Twitter space. We have a Slido link. So please feel free, if you have any questions, to add your questions. And we will get through them as we kind of go through the space. Also, feel free. You know, this isn't necessarily a lecture. So please feel free to to come up to, to request to speak if you have something to share or you want to add, ask a question directly in the space. The Slido link is for, you know, like just feel free to, to, to request to speak. It's definitely not just a me and Swix show, you know. I'm probably going to actually, let me just invite Jay from now because we always ask him to come up to speak. Uh, <laughs> He's a regular. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah that's no, pretty uh, much it. I think the the one thing I'll add is um, we have actually a PDF where this chat this one of the free available chapters. Um, I think there is a little bit of noise coming from you, chat. Oh, oops. So okay, is that me? Oh, all right. Uh, we have we uh, we do have a PDF where like this is one of the available chapters. Um, I think you can just kind of go on to the book. Or maybe I should just like attach it somewhere. Uh, I don't know what we're gonna do with that. Um, Chad, but um, this is the the chapter that we call Intro to Tech Strategy. 
Uh, yeah, I'm actually looking for it right now so that I can just put it in. Uh, I think I sent it to you on Discord. Anyway, so people can read along if they want to. Um, I think it's uh, it's one of those like I'm pretty proud of it just because um, it synthesized a lot of business knowledge. Uh, did we lose Swix again? No, I just muted myself accidentally. Sorry, that was me. Again. Oh, no, no, no problem. Uh, so sorry. Right. I I just added it to the bottom right comment section, and then I'm also gonna pin it so people can find, uh, what that is. So I'm gonna how do I pin this thing? Okay. Oh, uh, you get the yeah. share button. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's a just just the PDF ver version. Uh, we basically cover tech strategy, how it relates to your career, um, software is eating the world, horizontal versus vertical separation, uh four kinds of business models that we cover which is agencies advertising subscription and marketplaces and then we talk about platforms versus aggregation theory um there are other types of strategic perspectives like tech strategy pitches that we talk about but i think today we're just going to focus on business model type stuff um and you can kind of read along you don't have to in case it's hard to follow an audio like sometimes i just like to provide i don't know like a reading material or whatever um background is a little noisy i don't think i can avoid it though um is is uh is that is that is, is everything okay chat I, I i actually have to i need to sanity check this <laughs> no it's it's there's a little bit of background noise but it's not distracting at least not for me personally yeah i think we have some experience like this, this is our third or fourth one now so i'm like a little bit more confident, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So um, we we're, uh, we typically go for like an hour or so. Um, I think this one will be more open to questions, just because um, there's there's a lot of directions that this can take. Um, but may maybe I'll I'll set the set the context with the tech strategy and your career section. Um, so uh, I think I think everything that you said in the opening sounds right like but I'll, I'll i'll definitely make the point like even if you never intend to be a founder um you still want to be put on the projects that will make money or are most aligned to your business's uh business model um so because you're the person closest to the code you have a lot of autonomy to the the, the experience that you finally deliver um in other words whenever a product manager or designer the, forget something you are basically the product manager or designer of last resort um, you also have to think about technical trade-offs between you know the quick and dirty way versus the right way and what is right you know and picking abstractions for scale and pluggability versus uh rejecting mature abstraction doing build versus buy decisions those are often one of the more important decisions within a company and understanding what is strategically important to a company uh, leads you to build versus buy uh, certain pieces of technology. Uh, so I think that 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 is why I try to, in a career book, talk about tech strategy, business models, because it doesn't get talked about enough in when people join the tech industry. Um, and I, I think it's just super important that you understand where you are in the world and how what you have to do in order to be perceived as a commercial success. No, <laughs> no yeah, I, I, I don't agree. I 100% agree. As you were talking, I actually wanted to ask the question, like, how far? I mean, you probably shouldn't be too as far removed. Like, one of the suggestions you, you made is, like, you want to pick the projects that is closely aligned to, like, getting to, to, to making money for the business. But, like, you know, how, like, how far removed from that 
do you tend to be, I guess before going into it, how far removed do you tend to be as you join a company? Like, or how do you kind of assess how far you are from making direct money for the business? And then, you know, like, how do you think about that? That's a, that's an interesting question. So it ties into the chapter that we have about profit center versus cost center. Um, our engineers part of a cost center for executing on, you know, things that are already decided. Are they a profit center in the sense that they are working on products that are eventually going to make money? Um, you want to be perceived, most people want to be perceived as profit centers. And for most people, the way that you're paid is definitely um, reflecting the fact that, or uh, the, the fact that you are viewed as a profit center. So you kind of have to behave as a profit center. Um, um, it definitely gets uh, further and further away the larger the company. So I'll say maybe in a 10-person company, you have a lot of impact. 100-person, maybe a little bit less, but still have you still have a, plenty of impact. Uh, thousands, 10,000 and above. Um, you know, you get more and more into well-defined roles where you don't really super care about the overall business. You just care about the specific team or unit that you're in. Um, I still say within that, you have a lot of lateral movement, right? Like um, within Uber, you have the choice to to join Uber Eats, um, you know, or, or working core Uber on the driver side or the or the um, demand side. And like, there's there's just all these parts of the company to work in. And I think understanding what parts of the company is strategically important really help you understand where is ideal to go in your career like you still have a lot of choice in the matter um so it's not specifically just about um being having having you know monetary impact it's also about just sitting on the team that you think is going to do best within the company so okay so it's okay so it's okay that makes sense that makes sense i'm still trying to kind of wrap my mind for about using i guess the things that we're going to talk about to determine the best team versus like what your skill is and where you can apply value so it's like that kind of match yeah yeah i do i do think that there's some there's a lot of benefit to doing that um obviously it's like a multi-variable thing like you know what may be a good team for someone someone may not be a good team for you um, so I, I do think like you have to evaluate yourself versus everything that we're about to talk about. Everything we're talking about is like an external thing about, um, you know, um, what's happening in business models and, um, the, the, the tech industry in general. Um, but that doesn't really align or, you know, we, we're not really going to mention what, how you assess yourself, I guess, versus all this stuff. Um, so that, that's, that's a, that's the question that's a little bit harder to answer. Like you just have to figure it out. <laughs> um, okay. Maybe, maybe like, you know, I think, um, required reading, I would say is, uh, the Mark Andreessen essay on software, why software is eating the world. Um, he's done similar essays on healthcare, biotech, and crypto. If those are verticals that you're interested in. Um, and we link to that in the, in the reading for this chapter if, if anyone's uh, interested in that um but i think we're going to skip right ahead to business models and mostly we'll just try to focus on that just because i think we we picked that as, as today's topic um so the, um i tried to simplify it as much as possible to agencies advertising subscriptions and marketplaces and uh, obviously there's a lot more business models than that but i think these are the most common plus it they describe different kinds of 
economic incentives that will have its impact in the job and what you sh we should choose to specialize in. Um, so, for example, the agency like and and this this is very material for me when I went through a boot camp because um, I had people graduate and then you know we all went our separate ways and I think we all went into different kinds of companies and you can start to see what the career incentives are in each different type of company. Um, the agency is a is a very common one. Um, you have uh, you have one or more clients and you're paid for your time. You can be an agency alone or you can be an agency within a broader company. Um, because a lot of companies uh, do tend to try to build in-house agencies where you're basically paid for your time. Um, they give you a bunch of requirements and then you deliver some kind of uh, specified um, output. Um, ideally, you want to try to get the most done per hour, um, but cynically, um, you know, you, 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 you're, you're just in like a sort of time billing system. <laughs> um, and one of the one of the trickiest parts is always that uh, your income isn't fully tied to the su success of your client's business. Um, and this is often called the principal agent problem. Um, so it's it's a very interesting industry to be in, if only because uh, this is where a lot of the uh, the best in the business end up doing because uh, there's such specialized talents that they should not be sat within one company they, they want to be agents or consultants or freelancers whatever you call it for a bunch of different companies um but then the incentive is to maximize the amount of companies that they serve and the amount of income that they get um while not well just like kind of like doing the bare minimum for each um so i think i think that's that's one of the pros and cons of agencies i, I do think that one pro I, I would i'll definitely highlight for agencies is that you tend to bounce around different clients so in insofar as you get more experience on by the number of products you work on, I do think that it's a way to get a ton of experience in a very short amount of time. Um, so I actually kind of think like, I, I somewhat think that it'll be interesting to start in an agency in an early career um, because because you jump around objects and you work on isolated things and you hand them off and then you, you're on to the next thing. And you, you just get to cycle through a lot of requirements and a lot of technologies. I think it's just really a, a good way to, to uh, to get up to speed on on a lot of tech, um, and also it's also really useful for superstars, like the ones who are just super famous in their industry, and just people come to them uh, to pay up for their talent because they are the only person in the world that has done you know something very super specific. So I do I do like the agency model for that. Um, should I go on? Oh, I actually yeah. wanted to ask a few questions. So this yeah. might be a little bit on your wheelhouse, but I, I find it kind of interesting. So I live in Jamaica, um, yeah. for those who don't know, and we have a, a lot of agencies here. I kind of wanted to ask if there was, and maybe it's not appropriate for this space, but if there was, if you could kind of give an idea of a possible, if like what, it, why there would be so many agencies and I guess like a less econ a less technology kind oh, that's of interesting. you know yeah <laughs> um there's location arbitrage is something that people often talk about which is essentially you're earning in US dollars and your you know your 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 expenses are in local cost of living which is usually significantly cheaper um I do think that is very amenable to an agency model um, particularly because you don't have to be in person. Um, so I think that's one thing. But also I think, you know, maybe just like there's just less of a tech sector. So everything else needs a lot more infrastructure with regards to 
customer base as well as uh you know vc infrastructure or like banking infrastructure anything like that um and that tends to be super concentrated in the, in the us and particularly silicon valley so the most lightweight asset light model is agencies you just you basically just need an internet account and a laptop and you can be an agency already um so i think faces do tend to start with that and then they develop infrastructure over time um to have uh vc funding or to have uh customers who who know to come to to you instead of to somewhere else um you know it, that just takes a lot of time uh, a lot of com a lot of countries definitely try to start their own version of silicon valley and um you know a lot of companies a lot of countries have, have failed or are in the process of trying to succeed <laughs> pre Yeah, I guess that makes the most sense. I especially kind of resonated with the 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 lack of, or not lack of, but the 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 not. You don't need a lot of infrastructure to start an agency. You know, like you, as you were saying, you as an individual contributor effectively are an agency as long as you can uh, with a client. Like I mm. guess. So I work. for a company in the US and so actively an agency of for myself to that company you know even if i'm like full time for them i guess you could kind of say the same thing it's weird but <laughs> i'm just Yeah. trying to kind of make that same association but it, I, I definitely i find that interesting it's just the, the lack of the, not that i keep saying lack i don't want to say lack as if you know but you know the the the, the low infrastructure requirements to kind of build to to come into the business you know makes it really appealing for
basically selling ads. Um, the uh, okay, let, let's see what I've written here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they're, they're basically sort of two primary ad display models. One is display ads, which is just basically cost per meal, like um, ears and eyeballs, like um, you know, putting up a, a banner that will be viewed, will be displayed to fifty thousand people, and you can charge some kind of rate for that. Uh, typically. Uh, the 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 concept of cost per meal mill is a like a Latin word I think um, and it basically says per thousand people so um, YouTube will have a cost per meal of anywhere from one to ten dollars per thousand people who watch your videos um, and uh, you know I think I think that that is a that is a very well established I think that was probably the first type of ads that were that were displayed on the internet um, most people eventually like to Pay for the second type of ad, which is performance-based marketing, uh, or which is cost per click. Um, so instead of just viewing something, which you can't really prove that someone viewed it, uh, if someone actually took an action, which is uh, clicking, then you know you um, that that's a little bit more intense. Uh, conversely, that would actually cost a lot more to um, to get that conversion because you would be missing out on a lot of people viewing but not clicking. Um, so. Attribution is always a challenging thing, but here you're starting to disconnect the amount of money you make from your time. Like now you're actually, people are paying you for results for how many people view your stuff or click on your stuff as compared to how much time you sank into it. So you've, you've just switched from agency model where you're, you're just, you know, the time is your input to just how you are. And if you have, have, have a strong belief in yourself, in how you can generate uh, views or clicks or whatever. Um, by the way, you know, there's there's all sorts of, it's not just clicks. It's also, it can also just be conversions, referrals. Like when some people only only pay when someone else actually buys using your referral code, right? Uh, and so that goes, that goes all the way up from like, let's say cost per click could be like $30. People can pay thousands for an actual conversion. Um, if you think about airline credit cards, they'll, they'll give like, crazy redemptions just for for getting another person to sign up for airline um so there's there's a lot of performance based marketing that uh that you can that you can sort of base yourself on um anyway so all those are sort of advertising type business models um how can you attract demand um and uh so most social networks and news opinion sites kind of run this way newsletters as well um i've run a little bit of that i haven't really taken ads yet but um i do think that that is a very attractive business model um, one of the main memes in uh, <laughs> on, in marketing technology is the MarTech. If you just Google it, it's just this overwhelming list of logs in every single part of the marketing technology vertical <laughs> that shows you how complex this can be. Um, right down, I was just actually, I met a guy yesterday who was in uh, real-time electricity, like energy trading. And he was like, yeah, every second uh, people can bid on um, you know, energy that's, that's, um, that's going through his, his network. And, uh, I was telling him, oh, you should hire, if you're looking for engineers, you should hire from the MarTech guys. Cause in marketing technology, same thing, people are bidding and sell, buying and selling ads on millisecond scale. Every time you click on something or even view something. Um, so I just think like there's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Also a little bit dystopian if you are of the privacy preserving sort. Um, but this definitely runs a lot of our economy. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I so you mentioned the the, the Martech landscape, and you I, know, what? let me 
Let yeah, me just go check it. it out, and <laughs> it's the stuff of nightmares. I'm literally staring at it right now. I can't read any of this. Um, one thing I did want to ask, it's not necessarily directly about advertising, but you know, you you mentioned in the, the, the previous um in the agency model, you know, your 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 met your unit, your input is your time, right? That is your input for generating the output of you know finance, I guess. Or what, what you're what you're paid for is your time. Right. What you're, paid for is your... what you're paid for is some kind of results. Right. Uh, what I wanted to ask is is like I guess the remaining models, at least for for kind of what we're gonna talk about. Is it like you're paid for results and then it's just the different types of results for like the specific like for like a SaaS business, is this just like a different type of result yeah. you're effectively paying for? Yeah, and we can talk about that. Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I no, no, no. I, um, was there a follow-up question? Was that, I mean... No, that was pretty much it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so, okay. Maybe I'll put it this way, right? So what are the four models we're, we're going over? We're going over agencies, advertising, subscriptions, and marketplaces. Agencies, you're being paid for your time. Advertising, you're being paid for short-term results. Subscription, you're being paid for long-term results. And marketplaces, you're being paid for essentially facilitating results between two parties how's that for a high level summary <laughs> oh no that that's perfect because that was not i was thinking about like oh you know the the results that you generate are very specific right like so say for instance um like a word processor your your ability to word processing no but like i definitely like the idea of you know short term long term and then facilitating results between two parties like i really liked viewing kind of everything yeah. around that you know and to be clear like it's not like i knew this before i'm just trying to uh, improvise based on your question so this is super helpful uh part of this by the way if anyone's listening is uh us going through the book so we can draft this next version of the book. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's all it's all good fun. Um, I think maybe maybe one thing I'll, I'll advertising thing before we move on is um, there used to be a difference between first party content and 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 third party content or user generated content. So if you're for example like a news site or if you're if you're like a Substack or whatever, um, sorry, let me take out Substack, uh, the traditional news site or traditional blog that sells ads, um, you would be generating first party content. You would hire a team of writers or you would be the writer yourself and you'd be. Um, you know, creating content and, and, and people will be bidding on, on ads to ad space on your blog. Um, very much most of Web 2.0 was user generated content, uh, the YouTubes of the world. Uh, um, um, I don't I, I, I don't know what specifically, like, let's say blogger as a business in general. Um, I, I'm, I'm blanking on like what other user generating content uh, sites are, TikTok, are out there. Uh, <laughs> sure. Twitch, Twitter. I'm, trying, I'm, I'm literally. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so like, you know, you will be selling ads on stuff that other people create, which is a very in interesting innovation. Um, to me, the most, the most successful version of this is actually LinkedIn. Um, I actually put in a, 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 a list, a, a, a link to read Hoffman series B pitch deck for LinkedIn because it's one of those most it was one of the most compelling business models of all time. And when if you saw that pitch deck, you would have thrown all the money uh you would have in the world <laughs> to them. And obviously they they exited for uh, six billion dollars. Um so I think there there's a lot here when it got when it comes to selling other people's 
content and selling and, and, and commanding other people's attention. Um, it's, a, it's a very tricky thing that we don't have time to really get into. Um, I will say, like, I think it's just a fundamental shift when you have your supply come from someone else instead of a supply that you control. I think that is the fundamental decision that you have to make when going into an advertising type business model or media type business model. Um, whether or not you control the supply. Um, and, and that determines a lot of your fate. That determines where you should in a company like that. Um, you should know this when you go into companies like Spotify versus YouTube versus, you know, all this stuff, right? Like, um, I, I think I think it definitely dictates a lot of what the company does and, and, and how it succeeds or fails. Okay. Um, Yeah, and, and then finally, I'll, I'll note that uh, the majority of media companies eventually end up in a hybrid model of advertising for free users and, and subscription for highly engaged users. So um, this is not an either or proposition, but um, that actually segues us into the third model, which is subscriptions. Um, do you have any questions on, on the advertising stuff before I move on? Um, the only thing that I, cause I watched the kind of the, the video that we did for, for this as well. And I know we talked a little bit about aggregators, but I don't want to kind of introduce something if it kind of oh, goes God. away too much. That's <laughs> clever. That's a good question. Okay. What, what, how do you, how do you relate the advertising business model with aggregation? Um, so I know you were mentioning kind of like, you know, the third party content, like I know. That's what I would be assuming like aggregators specifically, uh, are specifically for third party content. But then it may be like I'm trying to imagine it because I imagine like third party content would come from other other owners as opposed to like it, it. So like, for instance, YouTube, Twitter, you know, we're specifically giving our content to the application right and then they display it right whereas aggregators in my head i don't know if this is correct or not but in my head is like the the content is on some other piece some other application and you're somehow either linking to it or you're getting the content directly but it's not like people are feeding it directly into your system you are going out of your way to grab it like i don't know if that's a if that's like A, a, a good kind of description of it but yeah yeah you seem to me like you're basically thinking of google right like as a as an aggregator of content mm -hmm. um i think uh so this actually is further down in that pdf that is linked in the in the show notes um oh i think i linked the, did i link the wrong pdf oh okay no you, you linked that another one okay it, it will be the second link that we that we attached um so this is so if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about is ben thompson's um aggregation theory very much a discussion about um how the economics of the internet are shifting with regards to zero marginal cost for serving users um and he actually has five levels of aggregation and what chad was talking about was the fifth level kind of the super aggregators zero marginal costs on users suppliers and advertisers um but there are other levels so for example if you are aggregating only your suppliers um for example netflix and spotify um then then that is one form of aggregation that is not covered by you know some of the some of the things that chad talked about so um i will say like i think that this is you know if, if the people want to read further um they can start with the the chapter that we had in the pdf um because I, to me it's my most concise summary of what aggregation theory is because ben never actually summarizes it <laughs> he had he has like five essays about it but he never actually summarized it um so That's a good, yeah. that's a good shout out. Uh, no. there, there is a very strong link to advertising because 
to get the most amount of uh, of um, users, you should make things free. And what do you do with free users? <laughs> yeah, I guess you try. Well, you know what? To be honest with you, I do not know. So you're gonna have flat out tell me. To be quite honest with you. <laughs> well, you should. You, you can advertise, right? Um, so there's there's always that. Um, anyway, so so we were we we're going into this description, right? So so if you have a hybrid of free users and super engaged users, you can do advertising for free users and then subscription for super engaged users. And subscription is is uh, software as a service, right? Like, like something that we talked about. Um, either it's software as a service or it's content as a service. Um, and I think those are most like I think that basically encapsulates like most subscription models. So either you subscribe, like you know, let's say like ten dollars a month for every month for some application that you buy, or you have usage based uh, subscriptions, which is um, for every gigabyte of storage you consume per month, um, you pay you know five dollars or whatever. Um, and that's infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service. Um, most tech companies, if we think about going to a tech startup they fall within this SaaS bucket uh, just because it's been such a successful business model that the people really enjoy. Um, on the B2C side, content subscriptions are all the rage. Uh, we have content uh, subscriptions for audio, uh, which is Spotify, subscriptions for video, which is Netflix, subscriptions for news, which is New York Times, subscriptions for blogs, which is Substack, subscription for data, which is Crunchbase, subscription tubes, like uh, Nomad List or um, when I was a finance or CFA, uh, I'd be subscribing to uh, the CFA community. Um, so all of which, uh, you know, uh, are, are just subscriptions in some format. Um, so the, the the difference here, subscription versus media versus agency would be that you're paying for long-term results. Um, people will not continue to subscribe. In other words, they will churn if they are not seeing success with you or they're not using your software, they're not, they're not enjoying your content, whatever that is. Um, so your incentive give them as much success once they subscribe to you, um, give them as, as much success as possible, whatever that means, right? Like make them feel happy, like give them some positive ROI, whatever, whatever that means. Um, digital content in particular, uh, when it comes to content subscriptions or software as a service, has a very high gross margin. That's something that it starts to really come into picture with subscription software. So um, in other words, for each new customer coming in, you're just selling them another copy, the same piece of content or another copy of that software. It really doesn't cost you that much to essentially copy paste <laughs> the server from a web web server. Um, so that gross margin is super high. It's basically like cost of like bandwidth and electricity or whatever. Um, so let's just say it's like 90, 95%. So cash flow is really high. Um, it does take a lot of upfront investment to create that software. So um, that this, te this tends to like the, the, the reason you make money out of this is basically you're taking on the fixed cost that other people would have to spend anyway. And you're turning that into variable costs that other people can rent and and drop as they see fit. Um, one thing, yeah, the, the one thing I I'll, I'll call out that I already sort of previewed is that most subscription businesses are buffet, right? Like you pay a subscription once and then it's kind of all you can eat. And you actually hope that people consume less it's kind of like a gym thing. Like you, you hope that a lot of people sign up for your gym, but then you hope that most of them don't actually show up to the gym. Um, so this has an inherent flaw because it misaligns you with your users. Like your users are going to figure out like, hey, I, I signed up for this gym, whatever your gym is, right? Maybe your gym is your, your app, your your um, CRM or whatever. Um, and then they're like, I don't actually use this very much. And, and then they're going to churn. Um, so you do want to incentivize them to use it. Um, and the best way to, 
do that is to actually move towards usage-based billing. Um, and, and that's a move that I see in software as a service right now that um, is basically coming for everyone. Like people really want to do that as far as uh, B2B software as a service goes. Um, and oh, maybe I'll, I'll uh, throw in this one fun fact, which I think, I don't think is very well known. Yeah. Um, Mark Benioff, the founder of Salesforce actually invented SaaS. Um, he introduced it in 1999 with the No Software campaign. And fun fact as well, uh, Steve Jobs was also involved in the creation of SaaS. Steve Jobs is at fucking everything. <laughs> uh, so so I, I put a link in there for, for the story if people care about it. Like all, all these things have origin stories, you know, and, and I think it, I just think it's nice to learn the history uh, because it's not like these things came out of nowhere. Um, they, have a, they have a place in time in, in history. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I wanted to ask really quickly, because um, mm -hmm. I remember having a conversation with a friend about, it, was, it wasn't directly about this, but what something that had come up is kind of the idea of why next Netflix was kind of suffering earlier in the year. I don't know if it's still suffering now in terms of um, the its market, it, it, how much, um, I don't even remember this term anymore, but... <laughs> like how, how well it was doing in the market. And one of the issues was like during the pandemic, you know, we, we saw a lot of rise in, in Netflix value because everybody was at, at home, thus everybody was consuming Netflix, you know? But the, what this person had mentioned, what the reason why Netflix is having an issue now is because, you know, Netflix, everybody was at home for a year and a half to two years, well, really a year and a half, and everybody had effectively consumed a good portion of Netflix, and now, you know, they don't have, there's, the, the, the novelty of finding a new show had kind of worn off, in a sense. Uh, I wanted to kind of ask you about that, if you feel if that's true, you know, mainly because of, you know, your discussion with, you know, the gym model of SaaS, effectively. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing is, you can't consume enough of the gym. I, I feel like that's a very, <laughs> most people will never, ever consume all gym. <laughs> um, Netflix, I think, ha does have a limited library sometimes. Um, they try to come out with new stuff, but it's not as good as the back catalog. And uh, there is a binging phenomenon. And then you turn it off and you switch on to the next thing. Uh, I don't know the, the specifics about Netflix itself. I haven't actually stayed too close to the headlines. Every year, every two years, they'll they'll puke out. They'll have people freak out like, "Oh my God, Netflix Netflix no longer growing," uh, and the stock would dump like twenty percent. Uh, but it always comes back. I don't know. They they have Stranger Things. Every 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 time Stranger Things come back, like Stranger Things comes back. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, they always have one of, and I'll try my best not to stay on this, but they always have one of those shows. Like for me, it was always the new black. Like, right, right. like I'm just waiting for the next season. Yeah. You Prestige. Know? Uh, yeah, that draws you in. And then uh, they also have things that are basically evergreen, like the Friends, um, the Modern Family, the, the stuff that you had just put on in the background because it's familiar. People watch like 37 times and uh, i think there's this really strange statistic that they tweeted out last year uh where it's like someone played a show or movie 37 times in a row and they, they said are you okay <laughs> and people actually had a problem with that because they were like are you you know are you commenting on a specific person like you know are they being watched and of course they're being watched right and netflix has, has data on all, all all of us but 
um i think i i, I don't know I, yeah yes it's possible to get tired of netflix because people get tired of netflix and uh it doesn't matter what anyone wants about netflix i think it just matters what the aggregate feels and that's why uh you know they have to spend they have to keep spending on content uh and keep creating new shows that compel people to sign up um I think the first, by the way, was House of Cards. That was when Netflix started turning from, oh, we only sell other people's DVDs to we'll start selling our own content that we produce. And that's I agree. a straight line from there to, all right, we'll start showing up in all the award shows. And Netflix is now a contender with all the movie studios. Um, and, oh, like we are going to buy some movie studios and that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's It's a very, very direct line. Definitely agree. Definitely. It's funny you mentioned, well, not funny you mentioned House of Cards, but thanks for reminding me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, but yeah, another, let me not... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. There's another element of disruption theory that is interesting here. I was actually speculating on this with someone else. I forget the name of it. Um, I think Nathan Bechez, who who writes uh, Every.2. Um, and he's just a very interesting business model's thinker and we were just talking about how you know how the movie industry every year the budgets kind of go up um, let's say 50 years ago when you're making movies you know you'd spend like a, a 50 million dollar movie would be a movie right then it goes up to 100 million dollars um and then people would say things like oh titanic was the most expensive movie of all time um and then you get to avengers and like you know that's that's like 150 200 million 250 million dollars a movie that's fine and then like though that's the established movie studios and then you get to the streamers who are like perceived to be not legit and they start with really small budgets and then they ramp up and then now some movies that netflix has i think the gray man which is the most recent um um i forget who the actor was one of the ryans i think i think Gosling. Uh, ryan gosling <laughs> one of the ryans um they spent 90s in that movie um for netflix it wasn't released on cinemas it was just netflix right so like that that movie budget starts to exceed regular movies um at least at least like you know traditional movies it's it's very interesting crossover for, by like the the people who come up from below uh, and this is basically destruction theory like like um this is what clayton christensen has typically talks about right which is like the new entrants to an industry typically start at the low end and then they come up uh and they start to overtake the the incumbents in in some very fundamentally different way and you can start seeing this in youtube as well um jimmy uh, or mr beast has started investing like every video of his is on the order of millions um he has he's built a month like tens of millions of dollars in terms of production facilities wherever he lives um and per video he's giving away like a, a crazy crazy amount of money right um i think like so you see you can draw a direct line from traditional movie studios and, and traditional hollywood to streamers to youtubers and eventually i think you know, you start to see the TikToks and, you know, the, 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 the smaller ends also ramping up. Like, whoever starts taking new medium more seriously than the, the preceding generation starts to win out. I don't know. I, I just want to draw that curve mentally in front, of other, in front of people because it's something that you only see play out over decades, but actually it's just a very reliable way that industries get disrupted. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm a big gamer person um and like definitely 
you kind of see that with the video game industry where, you know, like, so how old is the video game industry? Let's, you know, I'm not going to guess how old it is, but it's old, right? But the video game industry, like, really came into the public eye was, I would say, in the 80s because of the arcade industry. But I guess home entertainment came really into the public eye uh, in the er late 80s, early 90s with the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, right? Um, and video games... I don't know when this happened, but video games are significantly more expensive to make and generate significantly more profit than movies like today, right? Like in 2022, you know, like, um, well, why is my TV off? But okay, it's, I'm sorry, my, my Chrome was, Chromecast was resetting, but <laughs> I, I have in the background Apex Legends, which is a free-to-play game, and we, I don't know what how much revenue it's generated, but it's generated enough revenue to continue to be free-to-play for three years, and has, you know, every time there's a major esports event, for 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 it's not even let's not even say main major esports event there you know like there's a person who will stream and they'll just stream themselves playing and they're a top player they're a top esports player they get twenty four thousand views you know like every it's huge yeah 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 this is the metaverse by a pairing yeah <laughs> you know so I, all yeah. of this to say is that like definitely the video game industry is another example i just want to talk about because i like video games but yeah. no it's legit um you know so you could apply the same metrics to like traditional sports right like we used to care about baseball and and golf and um you know and basketball and, and i think uh, that eventually moved online, and and now you can see these upstarts for uh, the esports people at first not being taken seriously, and now some of the esports tournaments, I think they pay more than golf. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that's that's pretty nuts, right? Um, I was I was also gonna bring up like this year. I don't know if anyone knows, but act uh, Microsoft made its biggest acquisition ever with Activision Blizzard, sixty nine billion dollars. That's how much your games are worth to Microsoft. I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, you have, I mean, they, they invested how much into the Xbox for however long period of time, you know, like, absolutely. I, I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not surprised at all. I, I, it's funny, they've made another significantly smaller acquisition, but I know because I play fighting games. Um, there's a, what is it called? It was called Smash.gg, which recently got renamed to Start.gg. It, it's like a, a SaaS product for managing uh, esports tournaments and is mostly known for being in the Smash community, Smash Brothers, um, and generally in the fighting game community now. But yeah, like I, I'm not surprised that that, that Microsoft is is spending that much money just on on uh, I guess it's the, especially for game studios. You said Blizzard, right? That's not even oh, that's not even surprising at all. Why would, yeah, why would it's, they? Well, it's Activision, Activision Blizzard. They they bought it a while ago. Oh yeah, but yeah, definitely not surprised. Definitely not surprised at all. But yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, fun, like, you know, fun story. If anyone wants to know the origin story of Xbox, um, I actually clipped. There's a the creator did or the initial general manager of the of the Xbox actually did an interview on YouTube. Um, I clipped the, the clip, so I'm going to attaching it to the show notes here. 
Uh, cool, I'm gonna watch that afterwards. I don't even know the floor just it's not that just, well, he the dude worked from on Excel. He was like tech, tech lead for Excel, and then he moved to Xbox. This guy's just beast mode. Like he, <laughs> he just likes the X. He just likes X things. That's <laughs> maybe you should work on X state. Um, I'm, I'm sitting actually. I'm actually sitting with David Korshid right now, uh, and we're we're gonna have a lot of this weekend. Um, okay. So, but uh, yeah. So, gaming actually is an in this industry I don't really cover. I do I do add it to the the bottom of my business models things, but it's so different and so alien to everything else that the rest of us experience. So I just kind of leave it aside. But um, yeah, even gaming has adopted subscription business models, um, for better or worse. Uh, I don't think a lot of people love them very much, but they are part of. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Shall we round it out with marketplaces? Ah, uh, yes, please. Okay, so we covered agencies, we covered advertising, we covered subscription, um, and marketplaces are the first time where you are no longer the seller. You are facilitating sellers. Um, so marketplaces, therefore, tend to be the hardest software businesses to build because there's kind of a cold start problem. Do you have enough buyers? Um, and, and then do you have enough sellers to meet the buyer's demands? Um, but once they have established, they, they are very interesting double-sided network effects, right? Because once you become known as the marketplace to do whatever you want, um, whether, whether it's like selling sneakers or selling beanie babies or selling whatever um that people you know just naturally gravitate to you just because they know that that is the way it, um if, if i'm a seller and that's where i know i'm going to find buyers if i'm a buyer i'm that's where i'm going to know i can find sellers uh so airbnb uber cameo udemy all marketplaces very very interesting business models um so your goal is as a marketplace founder or marketplace employee is to match buyer and seller um you want to give people an assurance of liquidity and quality Right, like buyers can find what they want whenever they want. Sellers can sell what they have whenever they can sell it, and they both can do it faster than anywhere else. And then quality would be uh, buyers are good, like the customers whose checks don't bounce, and sellers don't sell fake or defective products. Right, so it's always this tension between liquidity and quality. In exchange, you take a fee from the buyer, seller, or both. Um, there's a take rate, and typically you charge anywhere between three to th uh, so Gumroad will charge. 3% for, uh, for being a marketplace of info products and Apple and Google's app stores take 30%. Um, some marketplaces actually take 100% arguably, which is ridiculous. 100% uh, take rate. Uh, and that will be things like Instagram and uh, TikTok, which is amazing. Uh, the, the the fact that people continue to make content for them even though they take 100% is is crazy whereas youtube you know they they actually pay out 30% could you ex could you elaborate a little bit more on that please cuz that's very new to me personally well, if you think about uh, i mean this is just this is a common saying among people like what is what are feasible take rates and the people who study the creator economy are like you know whether whether take rates are ridiculous or because uh, they'll sell ads on your content and then you don't take any of it. So it's actually just the ad, the, the user-generated um, user-generated content business model, but they're applying the marketplace mindset to it. <laughs> ah, I see, I see. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. There's a fun accounting uh, nuance here, which is like, when you have a marketplace, what is your revenue? Um, and you typically will have a difference between your revenue and your GMV, your gross merchandise volume. 
which is the amount of transactions that actually take place in your marketplace. And then your revenue will be your take place, your take rate times the GMV, right? So if you if you take 5% of every transaction, uh, then you're then you're actually a lot smaller than than than, than the GMV. And that's that should be what it is. Uh, in fact, there is a there's a very famous definition of a marketplace or a ecosystem or a platform, um, which is Bill Gates's platform line. And he says uh, essentially that um, you know the, the sum total of the transactions and the economic value that are created on top of your platform should exceed the amount of money that the platform itself makes. Uh, and that's how he thinks about Windows. And for WordPress, uh, Matt Mullenweg has actually talks has actually come up with a specific number. He says that he thinks marketplaces and platforms should only take five percent of the total value that they create. Um, and so that is the Mullenweg Gates <laughs> marketplace uh, theory of <laughs> let's just call it that. Um, it's really so fun. That so then I guess the idea would be, so as you're, if say you're going, you're a founder and you're trying to build a marketplace, um, the idea is that you're probably going to, to take, I, I guess I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. Um, you're trying to, you're, you're going to take more uh, of, of the, the kind of transactional value, the, 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 the transaction and then you're trying to kind of get lower and lower till you 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 get to this kind of coveted five percent. Like I'm trying to. Well, Mullenweg is kind of an idealistic person, so he's the founder of WordPress, right? So he he thinks that Automatic, the parent company, WordPress, only takes five percent, or he wants Automatic to only take five percent of the value, the total value of WordPress. And you know, just a quick reminder: WordPress is something like forty percent of the internet right now. Which is absurd, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, uh, but you know, I, there's no particular incentive why you should lower your prices until and unless someone else competes with you. Um, so yeah, Apple and Google, they're sticking still with thirty percent. Unity tried to compete with them and failed. Um, it, it, if you own a marketplace, you get to dictate the terms. You basically own your own economy. Is how I think about it. Like you have your own buyers and sellers. Your your buyers and sellers only have a existence insofar as they have an account with you and you can wipe them out of existence anytime you wish um it's a very very powerful place to be in ah yeah that makes sense that makes sense like also, so yeah so on top of on top of once you have a marketplace you have a lot of extra ways to make uh, suppliers can be can pay listing fees uh customers can pay for better service that's amazon prime so as your marketplace grows up, you can actually build an advertising business and a subscription business inside a marketplace business. So it's the mega, uh, <laughs> mega business model. So Amazon, you know, you can have sponsored results. That's an advertising business. Amazon Prime, that's a subscription business. You know, like it's stuff like that. You just like, keep adding business models on top of your marketplace. Um, so I wanted to ask really quickly, um, and I, I see you, um, um, I pronounce here, uh, Matt Lube. I I hope I pronounced your name correctly. I pretty much I doubt I did, but um, I I'll I'll bring you up in a minute. But I, is it so for for all the business models that we talked about? And obviously, you said there's significantly more out there. Um, how do they kind of because you're talking about you know, uh, is marketplace unique that you can because of its size and effectively how big it can be, you can add like other business models to it or are, is it, is, is it unique in that sense or is it, you know, open? It's quite it unique. Open to anything? No, it's quite oh, unique. Okay. 
I don't think it's because of the size. I think it's because you have both buyer and seller. Okay. Oh, okay. It's the, oh, okay. So it's like it's the different type of users that 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 you can attract, and like the other models are more focused on very specific type of kind of user or a specific type of way of generating uh, revenue. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well. Um, you know, I think there's there's a there's a bunch of stuff I have here about marketplaces, but also I feel like we should open up to questions. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, we, we have somebody who's requesting, so I'll bring them up. Uh hopefully they're coming up. Okay. Uh Twitter's they... weird. Whenever whenever you turn um, how do we add them as a speaker? Whenever you become a speaker, you add, like you have to disconnect and then you reconnect. Yeah, I think that's what's happening to, to, to him. Oh, okay, okay, he's here. Okay. <laughs> Do we have anything on Slido? I don't actually know. I haven't checked uh, it yet. I, I've been looking at it. Let's, you know, which, uh, please feel free. So we have the very first pinned tweet in the Jumbotron um, has a link to Slido. If you have questions, but you don't necessarily want to to um, request to speak, feel free to add your questions there. Um, but yeah, so I, I brought you up. I'm just going to go with Nagri. I, I brought you up, Nagri. Um, do you do you have a question? And he, I think he's disconnecting. Maybe he changed his mind. Maybe yeah, I think he changed his mind. Um, <laughs> sad face. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, th this is a lot, and it's a little bit of an unusual topic. I love I love how unusual it is, though, because most people, most developers, have never thought about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I talk about it a little bit more. Could we go a, a little bit into like how, as an individual, like you, maybe not necessarily the the, the ones that we talked about today, but just generally how you think about like how you add value once you you've kind of assessed what you know what business model your your company is in. Right. So, I mean, um, understanding what business model you're in basically helps you understand what you produce as a company and like what you get paid to do. And so you want to work on things that are strategically important to that business and and do less on what is not so important. So <laughs> I, I, I don't actually have specifics unless uh, people have, uh, you know, specific examples. But I just think it's a general rule, right? Like you want to understand how your company makes money so you can be close to the money which is another thing that we often say in our community. Yeah, yeah. So, like, so I'm thinking about is, like, okay, like, setting up infrastructure, like, your, your DevOps, right? Like, and I, I know, so when I kind of envision software, you know, a lot of the times uh, there's, like, this weird connection between, like, kind of front-end and full-stack and you know being close to maybe not necessarily the money but being close to the customer right and then the more you go like to back end and then devops and then specifically the data data layer and then hardware and stuff like that is the further away from the customer you are right so yeah. um so say you're in DevOps, right? So you're or you're building the infrastructure for whatever application that needs to to be deployed. Like, 
how do you associate with that? Like, I know one of the things that you mentioned is that you may not necessarily think about it directly, but it might be something to think about. But like, as somebody who is much further away, who's more likely to be further away from the customer, how do you kind of have that thought process? That's a fun question. Um, there's, so it's not like if you're away from the money, you're doomed for life. Um, I, I think that if you're in a sort of cost center e type role, then you want to just show your results and be very good at your job. Um, and I think being an expert in the industry uh, and and being able to say I consistently save you costs uh, or you know avoid downtime or whatever the industry metric is, and you show you're better than that, um, is a, a sustainable advantage that many 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 companies would want to pay you for and you can be a you can run a successful agency based on that oh yeah i guess that makes sense that makes sense um that's it so you know i think there are there are people who basically provide infrastructure as a service and those people then become the, pro the profit center right because that's your job which is you're providing infrastructure for other companies right yeah i guess it, it kind of goes back to the agency thing where you kind of split off you know so you're 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 an agency right as an individual contributor you're effectively an agency and then you know you could split off and kind of start your own thing like you were saying infrastructure as a service and then now you kind of have a product and like yeah you were i don't know it that's just something that immediately popped into my mind as you were mentioning that yeah yeah it's a, it's a fair question um look like you know, I, I also, what, what's hard about talking about these kinds of topics is I don't have all the answers. I haven't been in that kind of role. I haven't really examined or had a really real criticism of, about this way of thinking, you know, whether or not being close to the money is good advice for most people. Um, I just like, that's what I've been following. I think that's something that's helped out a lot. But I also see the other, I can argue for the other case, but it's only theoretical. Um, I haven't actually lived it. No, yeah, I mean, I understand, like, especially, like, at the very least, having some way of kind of modeling the world, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be right, it just has to be useful, right? You know? <laughs> oh, dude, <laughs> that's such a great quote. Do you know where that quote comes from? Um, It came from me, because I just thought about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are of the same mind as George Box, who was uh, one of the premier statisticians. Um, thank you <laughs> thank you so much I, okay now i'm blushing thank you <laughs> so uh, to be useful I, i'm actually trying to pull up the quote right now oh okay. uh, so yeah it's on it's on wikipedia under all models are wrong um all models are wrong but some are useful it's attributed to george box uh for those who don't know george box did a lot of stuff on time series analysis bayesian inference um one of the best statisticians of of the century um yeah <laughs> Man, thank you so much. <laughs> now well, you kind I mean, of good. Then you have to do the math. You have to publish a whole bunch of math, and you have to be born a hundred years ago. So uh, okay, <laughs> I, I think I'm I'm no longer blushing. Much appreciated. You've just um, caught up. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I brought up Eugene. Eugene uh, already. Hey. You know what? You you can mention. Yeah. Uh, Eugene actually hey. works on Amazon and has a great site website. Everyone go visit applyingml.com. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the shout out. Um, I just wanted to chime on, I think Chad asked a question. Hey, you know, uh, you want to stay close to the money, but if you are far from the money, does it mean that, you know, you're sort of relegated to 
obscurity. Um, I think that's not true. So what I've seen is that, you know, there are, there are software developers that, you know, sometimes they can take a problem that's a very big problem at a director or, prob- uh, or, a, or a VP level problem that is, you know, not close to the money at all, but it's burning a lot of money and it's blocking everything, blocking new features. So sometimes these senior SDEs, they may solve this problem. And then what happens is that they get recognized for it. They get recognized as an enabler, as a multiple. That becomes the case for Oh no, his audio isn't good. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually Eugene, you're cutting out. Yeah. Are you still there, Eugene? I think he's cutting out. He seems to be walking. So but I yeah. Dang. That sucks. Well, I think we kinda we kind of get that. Um, we've we've talked about this profit center versus cost center thing. Right? We, like I think we all agree that uh, there there are ways to make like if you have a hundred percent chance of saving someone money that actually is worth as much or more than maybe a ten percent chance of making money. That's my reductionist yeah. way of doing it, of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that would be something interesting to kind of expand on. Maybe not necessarily here. Like yeah, you're you say you're a cost center, right? Like how do you kind of associate that value because that's that's always the big thing, right? Like, so as engineers, or at the very least as, 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 as Silicon Valley engineers, because I've never heard of this as a Jamaican software engineer, is like you, you're trying to always showcase your value, right? But generally, like the easier you are to kind of be like, I added money to the business, it's easier for you to showcase your value, you know? And I know there's like, um, in, well, you know, let me not get into that. But if you're a cost center, like, you know, how do you kind of show that you're saving the business money? And it's like, it's, you know, even if, if we don't have like, what you call it, we don't really have conversations about just business models in general, much less like, you know, you know, making money versus saving money. Is that, I think that, that would definitely make for an interesting conversation, especially for people who kind of who kind of have that uh, that that lived experience. Because, like you said, you know, I don't have that lived experience either. I've never been like a person that's re- you know been in infrastructure. I've always been kind of creating a product that would generate profit. You know, hopefully. You know what I mean? So I definitely think that's an interesting conversation to be had, you know, just how yeah. how to think about that. So maybe we'll try that next time. Uh, I think we're going to have our first guest speaker next time with her. And she's got a lot of uh, business ideas. So <laughs> we can just jam. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um. I guess I kind of want to ask, hey Eugene, are you is your audio? Because I know if you want, I I I don't know if you wanted to add a little bit more. You know, I just wanted to ask if your audio was a little bit better so that you could add more because I was really interested. Well, I, I guess you you got a gist of what I was trying to say in the sense that, um, even if you're in call center, you can sort of develop solutions or platforms that other people can use, and you can demonstrate your own value. So I think that is regardless of whether you're in a cost or profit center. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, uh, definitely. Eugene, Eugene, the, the my counter to that is most startups don't care about costs. <laughs> well, you have, you, have, you have infinite uh, VC money. You only want to show revenue growth. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. Uh, 
Huh, I can't count on that right now. <laughs> you, you don't you don't have to. I'm just saying. I'm just uh, making a fun observation. Um, that it is true. In, in in most times, uh, growth top line is more valued than reducing bottom line, uh, except where businesses are run people. There's just not a lot of same people running businesses. <laughs> well, I would like to try to explain this. I don't know if you heard of this anal analogy, the commando, soldier, and police analogy. No, go ahead. So initially, so let's say a new market is like a big piece of land. Let's say like an island, right? You want to get a foothold in the island, so you need to get the commandos in there first. Commandos are really expensive, highly trained. How um, many you know they do whatever it takes to get a foothold? But once you've got a foothold, you want to scale. You want to capture as much of that land as possible. And that's why you send in the soldiers. So you need a lot of soldiers to capture a lot of land. right? So this is when your product goes from 1 to 100. Commandos bring it from 0 to 1. Soldiers bring it from 1, from 1 to 100. Then after that, you send in the police. So police are supposed to maintain that land, keep that land. Right, so you've already you already own you already captured the market, but now you got to maintain it, keep it sustainable, and so I think the soldier to police transition that's sort of where cost becomes more important, whereas in the commando nice. commando transition and the soldier transition that's where top line growth becomes more important. Okay, nice. Please, dear God, make a Twitter thread about that right now. I am yeah. so fascinated. <laughs> I actually looked on your Twitter to see if you wrote about this before but it looks like you haven't so i did, <laughs> I, did. Oh, okay. I, 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 I did have well you know feel free to take it and run with it yeah I, i'm yeah. sure you guys can 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 share the story better than i did well so uh the uh the model the version of this i've come across is explore expand exploit i think yes captain's 3x model <laughs> sorry, where does it come from where uh, it Beck's, uh, 3x oh, model okay yeah. yeah yeah i don't know if it was, it was from him i thought he was just quoting it uh it's not he came up with that specific kind of way of thinking about it but the way he came to that conclusion was through a lot of um economics um content so like the curve itself is not his technically uh but the way he thinks about the curve and the kind of the stuff he wrote about is technically his but it's based upon a lot of other information he got um but every time i see every time i see people talk about it it's always kent beck's 3x model like every time i see it like in graphs or anything like that, they specifically refer to Kent Beck. Yeah, uh, I think I've just attached the podcast where I heard him talk about this old SE Daily podcast where he talks about when what happened when he joined Facebook, um, and he discovered that face most people at Facebook don't do tests. Kent Beck, being the guy known for TDD, went to Facebook and discovered that they don't do TDD, and uh, he, then he started talking about the three X model. <laughs> yeah i mean to be honest it's the same thing as kind of what eugene was describing so well in a sense right yeah, sorry, so like, yeah. oh yeah yeah sorry but yeah that was kind of like the the, the, the thought process like that's how i and, kind of tried oh go ahead go ahead go ahead i was gonna say and if you bring it back to facebook's culture right where initially it was move fast and break things right it doesn't matter if you don't have tests but you move fast you keep growing and scaling and capturing the market um, but then now I think I think Mark Zuckerberg 
I think a couple of years ago, he said, okay, move slower with stable infrastructure. I think it's that's along the code. But that's where you see that, hey, you know, we are we are now past the soldier space. We need to get into the police police phase. And, and that's where stability and such important. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, I agree. I, so the, the uh, interesting thing about the 3X model is that, yeah, you know, you go through those stages, right? You go through the exploration stage, you're just testing, you know, like specifically towards coding, you write some stuff and it may not be useful. You're going to throw it away eventually. And then when you get to the expand phase, you know, you're, you're now you're trying to put in barriers so that, you know, you can grow and you grow quickly. The way he describes it is you just try to keep things from derailing your growth. That's like the expand phase. And then the extract phase is you're pulling all the value out, right? But he also <laughs> describes that once you get to the extract phase, you can actually build upon another kind of 3X model. And so, you know, you get to a point where, yeah, you have stable, you have like, again, going back to coding, you have like a stable application that, you know, you're generating revenue, but you still can explore smaller parts of the market, right? So going with Eugene's, um, going with Eugene's um, idea is that you have, you, you know, you bring back the commandos, but you've, maybe you've taken over a good portion of the island, but there's a cave that you can, you can journey into, you know, like, or just some on some uncharted part of the territory, you know, you can still add the three X model for that minor part of your kind of roadmap. I, I just want to bring that up. That's I, I yeah. feel like that was really important and interesting. The the canonical example or term for this now is called invisible asymptotes. It's from another Eugene, Eugene Wei, uh, who worked in, I think, Amazon deals. Um, he was also in Amazon. Um, and uh, there's another link that I attached onto the Jumbotron here uh, from Aaron Gustafson, I think, who was, who was a partner at YC. Oh, no, not Aaron Gustafson. Uh, Gustav Alströmer, who was, he was a group partner at YC. Um, and he was an early at Facebook. And he actually drew that exact uh, thing that you that you talked about, which is like, you you do three X and then you maybe taper off for a little bit, and then you find the next stage of growth, and then you you go from there, and it's three X again. Um, and so he actually attached that to Facebook's revenue, which is pretty fun. Like, um, so the chart's right there if you want to see it. Cool, cool. Thanks. I bring data, man. I bring I bring notes. I bring charts. <laughs> I just I <laughs> My my book has a lot of links. <laughs> there's there's lots of lots to dig into. Yep, um, yep. All right. Any uh any last thoughts, questions? Uh I'm going to go check just in case I moved away I from my computer. For some so like sometimes Slido really blows up and then sometimes I think we need to like tell people about Slido every now and then. Um otherwise people don't know that, it, that it's there. They would take questions. Like Twitter needs to just build this in. It's really annoying. <laughs> yeah, build it right into yeah, or or just have like an actual. I guess this is the closest thing to a chat feature, but yeah, I definitely even agree. the chat feature is not that great, you know. Like, yeah. Anyway, um, well, thanks for hosting this. Uh, this is really good chat, and thanks for doing all the prep again. No problem, no problem. Oh, I'm so happy. Like, there's so much stuff in in the thread that I can read <laughs> after this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and you know, I'm serious uh, for everyone. If you haven't read Eugene's work, uh, Eugene Yen, who's who's in the, the speaker panel with us, um, his blog is amazing. I hope to write something half as good someday. 
<laughs> Man, all oh, shots. That's, that's, <laughs> come on, six is just over exaggerating. Also, also, I reached. Uh, I think last week I I reached out to him. I was like, "Hey, do you want to start something together?" And we, we were both like, "We don't have an idea, but <laughs> we like your work." <laughs> Hey, you guys are much further than I am. I haven't written that much at all. <laughs> well, you know, start today. Right? Yeah. Start today. All right. Um, I, I think we can call it. This has been a really good chat. Uh, we do one of these a week, and we'll try to pick topics for next time. Um, Chad, you know, it's up to you whether we have a guest or whether we have another topic. Ah, no problem, no problem. Uh, I just want to say thank you, everybody, for, for coming in, you know, and listening to us talk about all sorts of madness really appreciate it yeah man this is fun all right hopefully that thank you was thank you for hosting this insightful yeah thanks thanks for joining all right bye everyone peace